Welcome to the Today's Market Explained podcast. I am your host, Brian Castle, and with me, as always, is the amazing co-host, Chris Reardon. Chris is the Director of Development, and I'm the CEO and founder of Four Star Wealth Advisors. Our promise with this show is to share the most important investment opportunities that we are seeing in ways that are easy to understand and hopefully even easier for you to benefit from so you can make money quickly and easily by investing. Each episode will detail the most important market updates and how best to benefit from them. And we will also be interviewing subject matter experts who can give insights into new and exciting markets and other investment opportunities. So to maximize every episode's value, please go to todaysmarketexplained.com to download, quote, 65 investment terms you must know to crush your financial goals, unquote. Trust us, this free gift will be your cheat sheet for reaching your financial goals in the shortest possible time. And to see all the best and most valuable moments from this episode, please go to Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Now, let's see what's happening in the financial markets. Welcome back, everybody, to the Four Star Podcast. Here we are. It's May 10th. Uh, I'm Brian Castle, your your host, my co-host, Mr. Christopher Reardon. Uh, Chris, welcome here again to the podcast today. Thanks, Brian, and good afternoon to everyone out there. Well, and everybody, Chris is our uh, four-star director of development. He's a uh, he's a dad now, and he's uh, going to be a dad again, and he's a new homeowner now, so a lot going on, Chris. Mm-hmm. You? And, uh, he, he runs our whole development division at Four Star, and uh, we're... Uh, just so proud to have him here. So thank you, Chris. Yep. And I'm the CEO and founder of Four Star uh, and uh, the advisor to CEOs, insiders, uh, the chief uh, dad to Evan and Quinn and uh, the amazing Tripti. So uh, why don't we get started today, Chris, on our podcast. We're going to talk today about the markets, the economy, what we see out there. A lot of really interesting stuff, a lot of big changes. So why don't we look at what all the asset classes are doing, Chris? What does the tally score system look like today? So we've had a lot of changes uh, from the last podcast, um, but we still have commodities running in the number one position. I lost four points from the last podcast, so it did deteriorate a little bit, uh, but it's still firmly in the number one position. It's got 320 points. Uh, the biggest change downwards came in the number two position. So that's domestic equity still, uh, but it lost 48 points from the last podcast. It's at 223 now. So um, almost 100 points difference from the one and two asset classes in our current position. In. International equities is in the number three position. It lost 12 points. Uh, so lost, but not quite as much as domestic. And it's at 179. Uh, and the biggest gain uh, came in the number four position in cash. So cash jumped fixed income. Uh, it used to be in the fifth position. It jumped up to the fourth position. It gained 48 points from the last podcast. So it pretty much picked up all those points from domestic equities. And it's currently sitting up 160 tally points. Mm. And the fixed income, um, it gained six points. So it did gain slightly in the fifth position. Uh, and it's at 130. And last is still currencies. It gained nine points and it's at 79 tally points. So really, I mean, the trend we're seeing is uh, a flight from um, kind of riskier asset classes, commodities, domestic equities, international equities, and a flight to um, safer asset classes, cash, fixed income, currencies for the most part uh, has really been the trend since last podcast. Absolutely. Those are huge moves. We don't see moves like that, but usually... Things kind of go on and on and on for a long time. 
then when the trends really hit in, that's when the big moves happen. So we're seeing a big change now because it's clear that those trends are strong and moving in one direction. So all, all the indicators that are close to flipping flip all at one time. So that's why we had what 40, you said 40 points down in the stock market, uh, 48. That was big, Chris, very big. Yep. Yeah, I mean, 48. And, and it, it does showcase, um, usually when we have moves like this happen, um, markets are extremely volatile and markets have been very volatile the last couple of weeks, especially. Um, so usually that's when we see the, these big moves. And you can, I think it, it's a great example of domestic equities losing 48 and cash gaining 48, how quickly um, when these asset classes move, how quickly they can flip. Uh, so if these trends do continue, I mean, potentially in the next week or two, we could see cash in the number two position uh, quite easily with, if these trends continue. So you can see how with one moving up and one moving down, those gaps close fairly quickly. Yes. Well, and so now with the markets down, the highs were in November, but then for the year, year to date, so the market's been down since November, but year to date, the S&P 500 started the day uh, about 16.5% down on the year. Looks like it's down another one, one and a half percent already. So we're down close to 18% for the year. And uh, the old uh, commentary is that a correction is down 10% or more, but a bear market is down 20% or more. So technology started the day at down 26%, already in bear market territory. And now, uh, well, today, Chris looks like another down another at least 1%. So we're, we're in bear market territory in the technology NASDAQ, and we're getting very close to bear market territory in the S&P. So uh, not, not a great environment. It's not been a good couple of months. No, no. I mean, I think a lot of this has been markets digesting, um, you know, some of the interest rates and then issues on that. So it's been a lot of volatility. And I think it's going to continue until we get a little bit more clarity. Exactly. So earnings season, 80% of the companies are beating in earnings season, but it seems like the market seems to be ignoring uh, good earnings, right? And they're anticipating what's coming and they think earnings are going to be weaker. Uh, but clearly the biggest trend that's leading things down are tech and technology. Uh, you know, stocks are getting slaughtered, really. Uh, Tesla's down big. Um, you know, uh, rest in peace for the e-commerce stock. Etsy's down big. Amazon's starting to go down as well. So a lot of the smaller e-commerce stocks are getting really hit badly. Uh, and the strongest of all the sectors out of the 11, there are now 11 S&P sectors, of course, is energy. No surprise there with oil prices going up. So investors can make money in energy and commodity-related investments. And we've done a little bit of that, Chris, ourselves with our dan dynamic portfolio. And we'll talk a little bit about that in just a second. But don't forget that just because the markets are down big, that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to have a recession. Now, many economists are insisting, uh, and Chris, you know this, that, that we are going to have a recession. But, you know, there are times, 1987 being one of them, I can think of some other times when the markets crashed, um, maybe even into bear market territory, but then we didn't have a recession. The markets are down almost 45% from top to bottom in 1987, and there wasn't a recession. Uh, they didn't have a recession until 1991. So there are times. So the old adage we thought we'd roll, we dust off and roll out today is the market has predicted 10 of the last two recessions, meaning the market is volatile. The market is very emotional. People react first. They shoot first, ask questions later. And that's kind of what the market's doing right now. 
So usually uh, the market is, a, is a, an advanced discounting mechanism anticipating economic good times for the most part or bad times, which is what we're seeing right now. The market is saying we are going to have a recession just by its action. And there are some economists saying that, but we may or may not have one. Chris, the first GDP number for the year was down, but it wasn't as bad as it appeared. No, oh, yeah. I mean, the first GDP number for Q, for Q1 of 2022 was negative 1.4%. Um, it, it did, you know, I think a lot of economists weren't expecting it to be quite that bad. And it was a sharp reversal from the 6.9% annual growth we saw in Q4 of 2021. But under that, uh, consumer spending in the Q1 was actually up 2.7%. Uh, business spending was up 9.2%. So there was some underlying aspects, like you were saying, Brian, that that were a little rosier than expected. The primary driver of that number was actually the uh, trade deficit, uh, where imports were up 1.3%, but exports were, were up 1.8%. So that, that uh, 0.5 deficit there was a main driver behind that uh, negative GDP growth um, there. So, um, you know, overall, there there's some good things going on, and there, there's some negative aspects, I think, right now in the economy. So it, it does appear that April slowed down quite a bit, although we've seen a couple of good numbers. The employment numbers were good, and we'll go through that. But uh, clearly, um, you know, we're, we're, we, feel, we feel like we could be falling into a recession. It's very possible. That's true. But at the end of the day, just talking about markets, you know, we don't buy recession numbers. We don't invest in CPI numbers. We don't buy interest rate numbers. What we invest in are either cash or securities like stocks or bonds, uh, exchange-traded funds, maybe commodity holdings. So when those things are crashing, then we have to take protective action. So our posture on the market so far has been very, very defensive. We started getting signals to move into the commodity area in our dynamic portfolio in late December and positioned that clearly by early January, and that's when things started to really unravel. Meanwhile, the commodity markets, Chris, are up big this year with oil up big and, and uh, the commodity holdings that we have are up about 25% on the year. We have a portfolio that had owned uh, a big chunk of commodities that is still up about 8% for the year. Uh, it had some stocks as well. So with the markets down 16 and 26%, we have a portfolio that as of today is up about 8% on the year. So that's good. Uh, so, but the rest of the risk areas, We've, we've raised a lot of cash, and at Four Star, we have four positions uh, of cash that go to a maximum cash level. We're already at position number three, and if we make one more move, we'll be at our maximum cash level, which for two of our portfolios is 100% cash, and two of them is 50% cash. So um, it's a pretty extreme time, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of volatility going on right now, which and that's, you know, one of the main feeders of this, if you will. And I think it's also important to highlight last week, I think was where we saw the most extreme version of it is we saw, I think the S&P had the best day, I want to say in like over a year, uh, followed by one of the worst days in over a year. So, you know, we're seeing these drastic moves, not only downwards, but upwards, these spikes as, as the market is trying to digest. But our primary directive right now has been more conserving uh, clients' cash and conserving their their assets, and so we we have been defensive. We've been raising cash, um, you know, even with the commodities. 
um, as we, we've taken a lot of gains as we've um, kind of booked those gains because we're starting to see some of those commodities, especially in the metals area, um, start to deteriorate a little bit. So uh, we were a little preemptive with that. We were already starting to kind of take some of these gains knowing that this wasn't going to last forever. Um, so, you know, we've been very proactive in making sure we're, we're defensive, we're locking gains, and we're, we're moving to cash uh, to protect the downside. Yes. So, Chris, you mentioned the GDP number and why it was lower. And so some people dismissed that GDP number because consumer was still pretty good and certain metrics of regular consumer spending were still pretty good. But it looks like a lot of the factors that led to those positive numbers have turned south here as we head into the, we're almost midway through the second quarter at May 10th. Second quarter will end at the end of June. Uh, so we'll see how that shakes out, but we don't get, so we don't get those numbers until the end of the quarter, right? So it's hard to really tell. So we have to look at employment and other numbers that kind of signal what we're going to see in July when, you know, when the quarter is over. So mm -hmm. getting mixed signals. Um, but the Fed is very concerned about inflation. And inflation is one of the, you know, the stink bombs in the economy that could easily slow things down. And we're seeing people already make those kinds of decisions. You know, the, uh, the surveys have been that when oil prices and gas prices get to the levels that they're at, people will make decisions to not travel. Maybe you don't do that cross-country driving trip this summer. Maybe you just go to the next state, or maybe you just uh, don't stay in a hotel and you just do driving trips around home, uh, but not cross-country. You know, so people are now making decisions based on inflation, and uh, they're going to be raising interest rates. So the Fed already raised interest rates once at 50 basis points. There was fear that they were going to raise it at 0.75. So they pretty much came out in their release as they did the 50 basis point increase and said they're not going to raise at 75 basis points a time, but they're going to raise four times 50 basis points. That's what their expectation is. So they're signaling it, and that's why the market's reacting. So apparently we're going to get three more interest rate increases, but they're not doing it all at once. But in effect, by announcing it, they kind of did it all at once. So one of the things the current Fed does that the older Feds didn't do is they signal everything that they're doing, and it and you can you can debate whether that's the smart thing to do. It's like, you know, when you're a military general, do you tell the other side what your next move is? You don't. Um, when you are making decisions um, for an economy and people are going to react to what you say, do you tell everybody what you're going to do future in the future? Maybe that's not the best strategy, but the current Fed does that. Yeah. For Right, four increases, Chris. Yep, yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that's what they're forecasting now, and you know, I think it's a you, you had a really good point, Brian. I mean, I think some of the numbers that we've seen that are past. I mean, I think the U.S. economy added four hundred twenty thousand jobs in April, so the April number looked pretty good. That was the twelfth straight month of gains above four hundred thousand. Um, so overall, that looked you would say, hey, we're still rocking. The job market's strong. But we haven't gotten the main numbers yet. And if that starts to slow and we have a slow June, you know, overall the Q2, we could see, you know, the job market start to deteriorate. So that's kind of one um, one factor that we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but in the um, where you're seeing inflation really creep in is the average hourly earnings. You know, they came out, the, they rose by five and a half percent, five point five in April. Uh, but the inflation number is eight and a half percent. So. If you're one of those employees and you got a five and a half percent raise, you effectively took a uh, three percent uh, downward uh, salary adjustment. 
um, effectively. So you're kind of losing money. And, and that's where I think that's where we're seeing it play in, in the, mar- in the um, economy as well. You know, if you're down 3% relative to gas prices, if you're down to food, um, you have to crimp some of your spending. You don't have as much money to go out and spend. Um, the other aspect we're seeing is um, personal consumption. So personal consumption increased uh, 1.1% in March from February. So that's still Q1 numbers. But when you adjust that for inflation, it's only 0.2%. So on some of these numbers that look great, but once you kind of adjust and take that inflation out, they're much smaller. Um, and you know, one way that people are adjusting or compensating for this high inflation is they're, they're levering up on debt. Uh, the Federal Reserve actually came out and uh, in February alone, uh, Americans increased their borrowing by a record of $42 billion. Um, and I know in the last podcast, we spoke a little bit about the bank earnings. And I think on average, credit card year over year, credit card spending was up about 29, 30% um, what a lot of these major credit card um, banks were kind of forecasting. So that's going to have a big impact. And that's going to be something that as interest rates continue to rise, um, you know, that debt becomes more and more expensive. Uh, so that'll be really interesting to see how what impact that has on the economy going forward. I mean, once again, we haven't really seen that impact yet. Uh, so the May, June, even kind of as we get into Q3, we'll see how that kind of ripples through the economy. And I'm sure you know, that's a lot of what the, the market's trying to digest now is, you know, what is what impact is this having on the consumer and what impact is it having on the parts of the economy that are still holding up now? Um, the last thing I'll mention, um, and this is where we, we've seen it kind of highlighted the most on the market, is, is mortgage rates. Uh, so right now, the average 30-year fixed mortgage is 5.54% for an average 30-year. Uh, the 15-year, which is usually a lot less, is 4.75%. Um, I, I'll even mention personally, um, about a month and a half ago, we locked in an interest rate for a home purchase that we did, and we locked in at 4.49%. So that's over about a month and a half, you had an over 1% uh, rate increase on a 30-year fixed mortgage, uh, which is very drastic. So uh, we, we need to see some stabilization, I think. And as we kind of get that stabilization, uh, things will kind of start to, to kind of bottom, I think. And we'll start to get that volatility will start to lower um, and things will start to steady out. I think. And then personal consumption was up too, right? A lot. Yeah, personal consumption. It was it was up 1.1 percent um, from March to February, or from February to March, you should say, um, which is a lot. Uh, but you got to think personal consumption. They were kind of looking at the just the general consumption numbers, and those numbers are inflated because inflation. You know, when you're not spending two dollars per gallon in gas, you're spending four or five dollars. Uh, so when you adjust out that inflation, it's only 0.2 percent. Um, so you got about 0.9 percent of of that number is just factoring inflation alone. Inflation alone, right. So interesting numbers, Chris. So some good numbers, some not so good numbers, you know, some uh, dark clouds coming into the economy with with higher mortgage rates and real estate slowing down in a lot of cities now. We've seen that, um, you know, the consumption numbers are still pretty good, but if uh, prices keep going higher uh, for, for food and energy, which are the two biggest, uh, that could slow a lot of things down. So um, but at the same time, because we are coming from a pandemic, we've got these recovery stories. So I've got a couple of good ones for you. Uh, movie theaters are back to pre-pandemic levels. So there was a prediction that folks would not want to be in movie theaters together, all 
sharing viruses together and, and things like that. But it, it turns out that now the pandemic is over, most people are comfortable and they are going back. So the movies are back to pre-pandemic levels. Uh, gyms are back also. So uh, all the uh, you know ex-fitness gyms and and all the others uh, are mostly back to pre-pandemic levels. Unfortunately for Peloton, uh, which was uh, made its uh, story uh, on uh, home uh, workouts, they're not doing as well, and they're looking for a buyout candidate right now. So they're they're struggling. Um, and live entertainment is back in a big way. Uh, the concert schedule in most major cities is actually higher now than pre pre pandemic levels. Live Nation says that their purchase of tickets is 30% higher than at the same time now in 2019, pre-pandemic. Um, and anecdotally, my wife, Tripti, and I were sitting at a restaurant on Well Street uh, in Chicago, in the famous Chicago's Old Town. And we were sitting right next to uh, the famous Second City. And some of, some of our listeners around the country might remember Second City was the home of many of the, the Saturday Night Live characters that Dan Aykroyd, Jim and John Belushi, uh, Martin Short. I mean, all these in, incredible uh, comedians anyway. And so that was pretty much shuttered up during the pandemic. There were busloads of people getting off uh, on Wall Street uh, last night going to Second City again. So Light Up Live Entertainment is most clearly back. Um, although uh, at the same time, Chris, we're not seeing as much in the offices so many cities in America are back only about 50% to population of the offices and where they were before Chicago being one of them. Uh, and then also, uh, you know, certain firms are back, but technology specifically has said in many cases that people can work at home and remote. And so that, that trend is clear for technology, but we'll see how long that lasts, right? They may get sick of not being in the room with people. There's productivity things that you lose when you're not in the room with people, uh, conversations that don't happen, uh, different contacts that people don't happen, have happen. So uh, it's possible that even that will change. So those are some of the changes we've seen. Yeah, and I, one thing I'll even just kind of highlight, two things, I guess, was you mentioned Second City, and it's funny, I saw an ad walking to work this morning for there's a billboard that they're doing kind of like the summer comedy camps now and everything. So they're kind of coming back in full force. Um, and then, um, you know, I, I live kind of near where the commuter trains are. And I mean, it's, it's almost back to, you know, there's so much people, so much activity now coming off the trains as people are commuting in. And I think that um, a lot of businesses are slowly working back, uh, whether they're on two or three days a weekend. And they're kind of just slowly picking it up. So I, I think the trends will only increase. Um, at least that's what we're seeing now. Uh, there are certain tech companies, but I did see a report this morning, even, you know, tech, com tech companies, if they are doing fully remote working, you know, they're going to say, you know, one of the thoughts is they're, they're going to start looking abroad. If they're going to have, if you're going to have full remote workers, you know, why not look abroad where you can maybe get labor for cheaper, um, you know, in certain areas. So that'll be really interesting to see how that dynamic changes as well. Yeah. So um, th that's our report on that subject. Uh, Chris, uh, you're talking about international issues. I know uh, what's going on outside the U.S. Uh, I've got some comments on Britain, but what about China? Yep. Yeah, I think um, I mean, one of the main highlights we've seen in China is obviously the, the severe lockdown going on there. I mean, the country still, for the most part, has been effectively just locked down. Um, so their, their, their numbers have been terrible. It's been having a ripple through the American economy. Tesla, I think, like you mentioned, Brian, is, is suffering 
lot of that's because their car sales are down significantly in China because the lockdowns, but their manufacturing purchasing managers index came out and it dropped to 47.4 in April uh, from a 49.5 in March. Um, mm -hmm. to, to reiterate, um, anything below 50 is contraction. So their, their kind of uh, production really is in contraction and a sub index of that factory factory production plummeted to 44.4 in April from 48.8 in March. So heavy contraction really happening in the um, in China. And I think that's another area that's, that's having a ripple effect on the global economy. I mean, China is a big consumer. It's, you know, a very, very big nation, obviously. So, you know, when you have, you take kind of China off the market, all things considered, just, or just their general population size and consumption, um, you take off some of their production, it's going to have a major ripple effect throughout the global economy. Absolutely. Well, and so with China uh, going through all the machinations that they're doing again uh, to ward off another virus, uh, even the World Health Organization, Chris, is saying that the lockdowns didn't work and that China's strategy probably doesn't make any sense here. And then the masks didn't work either. So, you know, we're seeing now most governments saying, hey, we're going to deal with this differently. We've learned better. Uh, there's a little bit of mask action and a little bit of a little bit of concern, but you know, no one's going back to lockdowns in America, even if they see a little little outbreak. Uh, so a lot of a lot of things are changing. But China has total control because they're they're a Marxist communist society. So they just tell everyone they have to stay home and they don't have a choice. Where in America we have the freedoms generally that were somewhat trampled during the uh, pandemic, but now it, it kind of appears that they really don't have the power to do it. In fact, many many of the things that were finally fixed about lockdowns were caused by courts reaffirming the freedoms that folks have in America that that politicians don't have the right to make you stay home and don't have the right to shut down offices. Uh, they have a lots of rights in, in certain periods of time when it's an emergency, but there's no longer an emergency, so they don't have those rights anymore. So. Um, Anyway, Chris, what else do we see out there? We got oil prices moving. Yep. Well, and then one thing I think that I'll even highlight is Netflix. So Netflix had earnings a couple of weeks ago and they came out, it got hit, you know, significantly hard downwards. They, they lost about 37% in a single day. And a lot of that was over the subscriber count. So they lost two, over 200,000 subscribers. That was the first loss in over 10 years in subscribers. So, you know, talking about increased competition coming out of the pandemic as well, um, raising rates. I know Netflix has been raising the cost of their subscription. So we're starting to see that have a toll on um, on Netflix. I know they're looking to cut costs. They're doing a lot of internal kind of reorganization um, there as well. Um, intercontinental, like Intercontinental Exchange or ICE is what's referred to. Um, they came out, they're gonna buy a mortgage data firm Black Knight for 13.1 billion. Oh uh, yeah. We're seeing more transactions occur. Um, in that space. And we'll see that a little bit here and there, especially as I think Peloton, like you mentioned, Brian, you have some companies that are starting to flounder a little bit. They're getting cheaper. So we'll see some companies that are holding up better that have maybe a little bit more reserve capital um, make strategic acquisitions where it makes sense for their firm. Uh, and then the, the last thing I'll, I'll mention um, before kicking it back is Bitcoin. We talk about this a lot. So Bitcoin traded its high of $67,802 in November. It's now down over 54% from its high. I know today I just saw it, it was dipped below 30,000. It's trading right around that $30,000 mark per Bitcoin. So 
a major drop and pullback from Bitcoin. Um, you know, and all, pretty much all cryptocurrencies as a plate as well. They've, they've really partaken this downturn. And I think what, one thing it highlights to a degree is, you know, a lot of people were wondering and it did correlate for a while is, is um, Bitcoin, you know, correlates to gold. Um, and we really, you know, I guess you could make the argument now, but it hasn't held up um, as far as a volatility, a flight from volatility. It's really fed into the tech downturn. Um, right. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of, uh, I would say forensic, a lot of analysis that's going to occur after this. Uh, but we really, Bitcoin's taking a huge hit. Yes. Uh, so uh, we'll see if Bitcoin is the new gold or if gold is the new Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. We're never quite sure what's going on there. Um, but those things should be going up in a bad economy. I don't know. So uh, it, it certainly gets confusing. Oil prices, I mentioned earlier, you know, Russia um, now is no longer a market for America. And now also Europe, the European nations are saying they're not going to buy oil from Russia. And Russia supplied America with 670,000 barrels a day. And just for the the record, um, the Keystone pipeline, which never really got going and was ended by the Biden administration, would have supplied over 830,000 barrels per day. So, you know, when when, uh, people are saying that we did this to ourselves, clearly we did do this to ourselves. you know, the Keystone Pipeline would have made up for what Russia had, uh, and it would have come on right around the time we needed it, actually. Uh, so, but the Biden administration is insisting on keeping it, keeping it closed. But now, uh, after lots of political pressure from, I guess, members of his party, apparently, uh, now the Biden administration is advocating for more drilling. And after doing the exact opposite for the last 18 months, but yet with oil, oil prices, why would they not be drilling more? And just for the record, uh, the, uh, the rig count is below uh, the pre-pandemic levels. And as far as actual oil production, it's 10 to 12% below pre-pandemic levels, but you would think that the prices would cause them to invest and get money into drilling because they can make a lot of profit on it, right? So um, you know, if the oil companies are evil and they make big profits, well, this could be their time to be evil. Uh, but the reason they're not doing that is there's really too much risk. So this administration has been jawboning now for 18 months and before before in the election about getting rid of fossil fuels entirely and moving to an all-electric vehicle world. Uh, so we wouldn't need fossil fuels for many of the things that we're buying. So, But if it takes months and months to drill uh, a well and there's big capital expenditures, then they start getting returns in a year or two. There's an election coming up in November, Uh, things could change. And it's hard to believe that uh, we have enough political stability right now uh, that if they make those investments that they couldn't get shut down after the election. So now the administration is on this side of the oil companies, drill, baby, drill, but drill, baby, drill isn't working anymore. Um, because now it, most of the oil executives, without really saying it, are essentially saying, we don't trust this government and we're not going to invest right now. So we're going to keep production where it is. And so those who are in, investing in oil are making good profits, but they're not increasing the amount of oil. Uh, the other group that's doing actually pretty well right now is all the shale oil uh, producers and the shale oil uh, drilling uh, group had lost money for a long time. Now with oil prices so high where they are, uh, they were forced 
to get very, very efficient in shale drilling uh, because prices were down. Well, now they've kept that discipline and they're making big profits and actually paying back for capital losses for a number of years. So the shale oil business is back in, in play, uh, but, but not really increasing dramatically, but at least they're making money. But that kind of leads to uh, one comment we did want to talk about that political unrest or political decisions can lead to distorted decisions in economics. And that's what we're seeing now in America, that why, why wouldn't they drill more, but they're not willing to drill more because of the politics of it. So that's where we are. Um, we talked, Chris, a little bit about, about freedom and free speech and about China. And we bring this up only because it's changing markets. Uh, movies had uh, you know, been long since a very big market uh, in the Chinese market. The Chinese Communist Party, however, has been for a number of years limiting American and Western movie producers uh, distributing in China because they didn't want the politics or they didn't want to be, have their people infected with the ideas of the West. So now they're making themselves more and more relevant. Sony announced that they were not going to make the changes that the Chinese Communist Party wanted to make to the recent Spider-Man movie, and they backed out completely out of China. So it's going to cost Sony over 100 million or more um, because they are not, you know, distributing the Spider-Man movie in China. Uh, but that's what happens when, when political decisions are made. Then economic decisions are downstream from that. So that's what we're seeing. And uh, Chris, you talked about how China is so large, but it's really inefficient. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that um, you know when we talk about in the economies and just general kind of governments and how they're set up. I mean, I think. When you think about communists or, or any governments that are set up in that, that way, there is a lot of efficiencies. I mean, I think um, I heard I think I've heard it said the best way. And it, I was referring to U.S. politics is, you know, if you're doing a transfer of, of um, money, for either from, you know, rich, the poor or anything like that, you know, there's a, it's a leaky sieve. Right. So, you know, that money is going to it's not efficient. It's going to get leaked out of where it's going to go, you know, to different hands. It's not going to get translated perfectly. So, um there's a lot of inefficiencies in there. I think what's key in, in China, though, is it's, you know, a billion person country and they, they several billion person countries, one of the largest countries in the entire world. And, um, you know, that that has a lot of power behind it. So even though their economy may be inefficient, there's there's a lot of power, there's a lot of manpower, there's a lot of consumer demand and consumption there. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that stacks up. If you if you compare it to the U.S., you know, a country of 330 million or so. Um, our GDP is higher, so our, our kind of productivity and per uh, person GDP is, is obviously much higher than, than China's. Um, so, you know, there, there is a push and pull going on, I think, right now in, in the global stage. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I think overall, we've seen in the past the, the, the more free market economy of, of the West, of the um, America, you could say. Uh, tends to perform a lot better. And I think, um, you know, we go through kind of cycles here, uh, but overall the way our country was set up, the way the founding fathers set it up is, is, is a great system. And they obviously knew what they were doing um, when they set it up. They set a lot of checks and balances, a lot of um, uh, divergence of government. So you didn't have, you had all different three branches. I mean, it, it, it really shows the power of, of the Western democracies and, and the American democracy in and of itself. 
Absolutely. Well, Chris, you know, um, a couple of weeks back, we had an opportunity to go over for the first time in two years to England and spend time in London, my wife and I, and then did some uh, business meetings there as well. And it was, first of all, it was great to be out of the country and see the rest of the world back again. And uh, London was on fire. London was busy. We were at various outdoor markets, just overloaded with people. So London is really back. Some of the offices aren't back as much, just like in America, but London is really on fire. Uh, but it had me it had me thinking a little bit about, so America was at one point part of England and we rebelled, right? And why did we rebel? We rebelled because of the king and the tyrannical nature of the king demanding taxes and all the things that he wanted, the Boston Tea Party and all the historical things that led to the founding of America, Revolutionary War to break away from the king. And so, um, you know, various societies over, over uh, time, you know, have been communistic, ruled by kings and dictators and people like that, where there isn't much freedom. And so they didn't build a lot of wealth. So one of the offshoots of America coming out of England is that we created policies to give individual freedoms that they didn't have while they were under the king. And so now those freedoms have led to a capitalistic de de democracy, a republic that has created more wealth and more prosperity in world history. And it's all a reaction to the king of England, essentially, in a, se in a sense. So now uh, we've set up this great system in America. We're the leading economy in the world by far. We're the economic leader and political leader in the world. And so there are people and forces in America that are trying to change that, bringing in Marxist ideology. It's just part of human nature. People want more money. They're jealous. They need things. Uh, the rich people are too rich. The poor people need more, all those kinds of things. And if we go too far with it, we'll end up like China. We'll end up like Russia. We'll end up like these other countries. The, the brilliance of our founders is that they created the Bill of Rights and other freedoms in America that other countries don't have, have in China. Heavy lockdowns in Australia and New Zealand where they couldn't really do those things here. So um, we're seeing the American democracy struggle, obviously. We all went through a very difficult period of time, but um, with all the different court rulings and the freedoms of America, we still have the best system in the world. We're big fans of America and the American system. And that's what, that's what uh, the message is that I'm trying to send everybody that now, America may be struggling, but we're still the leader in the world. We still have the best system in the world. And as long as we keep that system the where it is, and we keep freedom, we keep democracy, capitalism with controls, uh, obviously some controls, we will hopefully still be the leader in the world, no matter how big China is. They're three times our size, but they're not the economic power of America. So hopefully uh, we keep uh, America what it is, strong, a strong nation, and that we're hopefully continue to be the leaders in the world. So we'll get through this bear market. Um, we'll come back to prosperity. These things happen. We have to protect everybody during a bear market, but in, in the short run, but in the long run, we believe America's prosperity will, will continue. So on that note, Chris, we probably should end this. Discussion. <laughs> All right. Uh, so um, watch for the blog post. We did one on battery storage with Catherine Von Berg. Uh, also in the Today's Market Explained, and then on the um, on the Leadership Matrix blog post on the Four Star website, we did an interview with a commercial real retail developer, uh, Josh Simon, out in Arizona, and they're developing some very big, large retail centers. So retail is not dead. There are some lousy malls out there, 
Uh, but there's some malls that are doing well and retail that's doing well. So we hear from that with Josh Simon. Uh, we also did, uh, that was a blog, that was a podcast as well as, as well as blog posts. And then we also just recently did a blog post about hydrogen power that could change the world much lighter than jet fuel. And uh, it could revolutionize air travel. So there's some interesting things on our website to check out. Uh, the Today's Market Explained podcast and all the videos on TikTok, uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. So um, Chris, um, on behalf of our whole team, my, my partner here, Chris Reardon, our whole corporate team here in Chicago and out east, and all the advisors around the country, uh, let's sign off for this episode of the podcast. And we'll be back with some great interviews coming up very shortly. Uh, we've got a couple lined up that you're really going to like. And then we'll be back in a couple of weeks of the market commentary. Sounds great. Thanks, everybody. Don't forget to give us a five out of five as well. Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye now. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about maximizing your stock market returns with the least amount of time and effort, please go to todaysmarketexplained.com and download our free guide on the 65 investment terms you must know to crush your financial goals. If you felt any benefit from this episode, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes and share this with anyone you think will also find value and benefit from this. And please follow Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube to see all the short video clips covering the most valuable moments from today's episode. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. We can't wait to tell you everything we're seeing in the financial investment markets. This podcast is provided by Four Star Wealth Advisors for the general uh, public and general information purposes only. The information is not considered to be an offer to buy or sell any securities or investments. Investing involves the risk of loss and investors should be prepared to bear potential losses. Investments should only be made after thorough review with your investment advisor, considering all factors including personal goals, needs, and risk tolerance. Four Star is an SEC-registered investment advisor, maintains a principal business in the state of Illinois. The firm may only transact business in states in which it's notice filed or qualifies for a corresponding exemption from such requirements. For information about Four Star's registration status and business operations, please consult the firm's Form ADV disclosure documents, the most recent versions of which are available on the SEC's Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website at www.advisorinfo.sec.gov.